Are you ready this morning? Yes. We've got a wonderful time together in Proverbs. We'll look at 30 verses, uh, chapter 30, verses 1 through 9. And our PowerPoint verse is interesting because of the chapter uh, that it's in and comes from. And the first thing is, we have no idea who the man is who authored this. There's nothing in Scripture elsewhere about him. There's nothing in Israel's history that would give us any indication about him. We know nothing about the two men he was making his declaration to. We do know his name means gatherer. His name is Agur, A-G-U-R, as we'll see in a moment. His father is named Jekka, which means blameless. And the two men he is speaking to are named Ithiel, which means God has arrived, and Ukal, uh, which is devoured. Now, a lot of times, because of the names of the Hebrew uh, people that are in the text, we can get a little bit about the background and know an association with them or others who are uh, surrounding them, but that's not the case in this particular text. We know nothing about these men, as I said, but the one thing we can glean from the introduction that we'll read in verse 1 is that Agur was the tutor for these two men, Ithiel and Ukel. Now, the other point of interest that's a bit distinct with this particular proverb is that it seems to have a prophetic element to it. Now, the proverbs are generally life observations, many of them uh, penned by Solomon, a man who had wisdom that God had given him, and he made certain observations about life. And if we follow them, uh, we will be blessed according to what God has written in his word. Now, in Proverbs 30, the verses after the ones we'll look at this morning, verses 11 to 14 will tell us, there is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. In other words, it's disrespectful to parents. There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes. In other words, they're prideful. Yet it is not washed from its filthiness. It has nothing to be proud about. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes. Their eyes are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are like swords and whose fangs are like knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. Gee, sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it? And this is paralleled with 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5, where Paul says, know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, full of pride. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors. Do we have any of those today? Absolutely. Headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people, turn away. Listen, we live in an age of Bible-burning, America-hating, God-rejecting, boasting, proud, blasphemers. And Agur has a very timely reminder for us as about, as rather, how to live at such a time as this. Now, we don't know who he was. We don't know who his friends were. We don't know who his dad was. We have all their names, but there is one thing we know about him, and it's this. In 2 Peter 1.21, we're told that prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. We know all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Amen. 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 Every word on every page is breathed by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, this was a man 
who God set his spirit upon to write words that do have a rather significant application for you and I today. Now, whether or not there is a prophetic intention in the verses, it's clear that they parallel 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5 that we read a moment ago. Now, the message he writes informs us about this generation that he wrote about in the verses that follow ours this morning, but it also equips us for life in times such as these. Now, what we're going to glean from his words is our title this morning, and it's a reminder that God is, and here's our title, our sword and our shield. God is our sword and shield. Amen? Amen. Now, Proverbs 29, 25, just backing up a handful of verses, says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Now, if you remember in the course of our studies of our word for the year, we know that the Hebrew word is batach, and it's translated as trust in our text, but it means to be bold. Can we be bold in times such as these? It means to be secure. Do we have security in Christ in times such as these? It means to put confidence in or even cause to hope. Do we have hope today? Even in a world that's spiraling out of control, even as we see countries going under martial law, even as we see the church being restricted here in California, we have a reason for hope, and it is Jesus Christ himself who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, that reminds us that trust requires an object. We're not just trusting in something that's been made up by man. We are trusting in the true and living God, a God who is tangible, a God who is practical, a God who is with us and never leaves us nor forsakes us. And this is exactly where Eger begins, as we will see. But one more reminder before we have our initial reading, and that is from Ephesians uh, 6, 14 to 16, where we are admonished to stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench some, how many? All, all of the fiery darts of the wicked one. The fiery darts are coming in fast and hard in these days, and it's time for the sword of the word of the Lord and the shield of faith to be employed by the church of Jesus Christ in America like never before. So let's find some reminders from this unknown author who wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So would you stand this morning and read with me, please, from Proverbs chapter 20. Our text will be 1 through 9, and we'll look at it in our usual three sections. Proverbs 30, I'm sorry, 1 through 9. See, you guys are paying attention out there. I like it. Proverbs 31 to 9, verse 1. The words of Agur, the son of Jacob, his utterance, this man declared to Ithiel, to Ithiel and Uchal. Surely I am more stupid than any... <laughs> yeah, I bet you didn't know that verse was in the Bible, did you? I am more stupid than any man and do not have the understanding of a man. I neither have learned wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One who has ascended into heaven or descended, who has gathered the wind in his fist, who has bound the waters in a garment, who has established the ends of the earth, what is his name, and what is his son's name, if you know. Every word of God is pure. Somebody say amen. amen. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. 
Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you, and you be found a liar. Two things I request of you. Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. And Father, we ask now your blessings on your word. We pray, God, that you would give us ears to hear what you're saying to your church. We thank you, Lord, that you have made us into a glorious church without spot or wrinkle by the blood of your own Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, give us uh, a, a mind to receive what you have for us today and a willingness to apply it as we leave this place today. We thank you again for the FET. Lord, I pray your blessings and protection over this place. And we pray you would bring them further business, even in this time of restriction, because they have opened their doors to your people in your house. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, the first of three things I'd like you to consider this morning is going to come from verses 1 through 4. Now, in his opening statement, which always gives me a laugh when I read through it, it's possible that he was being sarcastic with his students by calling himself more stupid than any man. Even as Paul would later write to Corinth in the same sarcastic manner. We'll talk about that in a moment. But he begins his utterance to his two students in a manner that is reminiscent of what we read in Job 38 and 39. Now in Job 38, 1-7, as an example, we see the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said... Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. How'd you like to hear that from the Lord? <laughs> prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together? And all the sons of God shouted for joy. And this goes on for two full chapters as the Lord is examining Job. And it appears as though Ithiel and Ukal had been instructing their instructor about the nature and character of God. And Agar replies, apparently I am the stupidest person on all the earth because I don't know everything about God. And then he says, I haven't even begun to understand the power, the wisdom, and the greatness of God. But within his self-degradating response, there is wisdom for us to glean for dealing with times in which we now live. And it's the first of three truths I want to share with you today. And it's a bit of a defense mechanism, if you will, as we are under a season of threats and accusations that are growing and even manifesting themselves in some reality that we'll talk about here in a couple of moments. But here's the first thing I want you to consider and jot down if you're a note taker. Listen this morning. Our first line of defense is remembering the greatness of our God. Our first line of defense is remembering the greatness of our God. Now we're going to talk more about the importance of this because the devil's trying to get in our heads. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. He's trying to get us into the flesh. So our first line of defense to combating fear, to not being driven to the flesh, is to remember how great our God is. And it would be easy to be intimidated in times such as these because there are people in humanly powerful positions who are saying it's legal to gather for the purpose of burning Bibles, but it's illegal to gather for the purpose of studying Bibles. 
And this is the day in which we now live. And yet Paul would say in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be anxious for nothing. Now, what that actually means is don't live in a constant state of anxiety. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and what? And your minds through Christ Jesus. Now, as we are here this morning, the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Newberry Park, California, has had a restraining order placed upon him by a local judge. And the first 1,000 people that show up at church this morning are going to be cited with a misdemeanor. Now, we also know that John MacArthur is being threatened with arrest. He is being threatened with a $1,000 per day fine because he said they're not meeting outdoors, they're meeting indoors, and they're going to be doing the required social distancing and mask and all that. Yet, because the governor has stated you cannot meet indoors, they are seeking to shut down those two churches and many others. Pastor Jack Hibbs sent out a memo this past week that said churches up and down California are receiving threatening letters from local judiciaries. And uh, thankfully, we haven't received one again because the, the FET has been so kind to open up this place to us. Amen? Amen. Now, let me ask you a question. Who's the head of the church? Christ is the head of the church. Is Gavin Newsom the head of the church? No, no Christ is the head of the church. And the fact is, it is he, the Son of God, who has established the ends of the earth, who set the boundaries of the seas. He gathers the four winds and holds them in his hand. What is his name, Agar proposes? His name is Yeshua. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And by the way, he's coming again. Amen. He is the Son of the living God to answer his question. And Psalm 113, 1-5 reminds us to praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations. Amen. Amen. All nations, His glory above the heavens, who is like the Lord, our God, who dwells on high? And listen, as things continue to heat up, and I'm not talking about the weather, remember the greatness of our God. It's our first line of defense. Now, in verses 5 and 6, we find our PowerPoint verse for the month and our word for the year, where we're told every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a what? A liar. Now, it seems pretty clear from these verses that the students, again, had become the teachers of their master or instructor. And basically, they had been informing the teacher of the things of God, including extra-biblical revelations, or at the very least, questioning the validity of Scripture. Are people questioning the validity of Scripture today? Are they saying that not all scripture is inspired of God? You know, it's funny. We have people today who say you should only read the red letters because those are the words of Jesus. 
well, since the Holy Spirit is God, I wonder what he thinks about that particular idea. Since he inspired the whole of the Bible, since he is the third person of the triune Godhead, how can we say only read the red letters when there were no red letters in the original manuscripts? If Jesus said it or the Holy Spirit said it, God said it. Amen. Amen. Now, we mentioned the sarcasm of Paul that he wrote to the church at Corinth, and Paul was addressing the same subject, adding to or minimizing the word of God. And he took the same exact approach, the sarcastic approach, that Agur did. In 1 Corinthians 4, 6 to 10, Paul said, Now these things, brethren, I have figured to be transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is what? What is written? That none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. For who makes you differ from one another? What do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You are Now, here's where he gets sarcastic. You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I wish, I could wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. And again, Paul being a bit sarcastic, but I think there's something for us to take note of here. As he mentioned that they, as the apostles, are going to face death and difficulty, obviously associated with being a representative of Christ and even considered fools for Christ's sake. Is that not something we are labeled as today? Fools, we are fools for believing the Bible. We are fools for believing that God has ordered us to meet together and to study his word together, to be equipped for the work of ministry, to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Some people would call us foolish. And listen, there's nothing foolish about honoring the word of God. It's a fool who says no to God according to God's word. And Eger says, every word of God is pure. Now, it's interesting that the word pure is actually a term associated with refining, refining or metallurgy. And it speaks about the purification of metals that is brought through the refining by fire. In other words, what he is telling us is that God has already refined his word to its purest form, and we shouldn't be adding anything to it. We don't need extra biblical revelations to understand it. Any human additions defile it and make liars out of those who would add to it. Now in Luke 4, 3 and 4, with the temptation of Jesus, the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, and Jesus hadn't eaten for some 40 days, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, I can do that if I want to. It sure looks good. <laughs> no, Jesus said, It is what? Written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word, by every word, of who? God. Of God. Listen, I submit to you this morning that you cannot combat the enemy with compromised word of God, with human additions to the word of God. If we're going to fight the enemy, we have to fight him the way Jesus did. Satan quoted scripture to Jesus, and Jesus responded to scripture with scripture. We need to maintain the integrity of scripture in our belief system today because he is a shield to those who trust in him because every word of God is pure, and Jesus is the word according to John 1.1. 1, 1. 
Now the word shield is interesting. Elsewhere you'll find it in scripture translated as buckler. It speaks about a, shield, a small shield that would be used in hand-to-hand -hand combat and close quarters fighting, so to speak. Now there were other shields that would often be used and carried by an armor bearer, which a combatant could hide his whole body behind to uh, protect themselves from an air attack, from arrows and spears that would be flying through the air. But this is talking about individual battle dealing with the assaults on us as believers. Now the word is also the same word that would be used to describe the scaly hide of a crocodile. Now I want to bring that up because we mentioned last week, and I'll say it again this morning, we need to toughen up. We need to become a little bit thicker skinned. Hello? We need to become a little bit thicker skinned. We need to be ready to engage the adversary today. Now, here's the next thing I want you to consider in light of what he said in our verse for the month, that every word of God is pure. Listen this morning. In summary form, God's word isn't a proposal. It's the plan. God's word isn't a proposal, meaning you can accept or reject it. It's the plan. And listen, there are lots of proposals today uh, about the afterlife through various religions and what awaits us after we die. There are lots of proposals today as to how the world should be managed, even how justice should be administered, administered. But listen, God's word is not among the proposals. His is the plan because this is his planet. And we have come to a time where many people believe that what they believe is true because they believe it. And to them, facts are irrelevant, and it's belief that's important. And listen here this morning, the Bible doesn't have to be believed to be true. It's, be it's true whether you believe it or not. Believing it doesn't make it happen. It's going to happen whether you believe in the Bible or not. It's not a proposal. It is God's plan. In 2 Samuel twenty-two thirty-one, the prophet says this, As for God, His way is what? Perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. And later David would repeat the same thing in Psalm 18, 30 to 32. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. Listen to this. For who is God except the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. Listen, I've been thinking a lot lately in the midst of all we've been going through about how amazing God has been throughout our journey in a need for a building. He has done everything completely perfect. He's had me scratching my head more than once. He, I've been up at night more than once wondering what's going to come next. But listen, we've never been without a place except when we were locked down and meeting online. But we even had a place to meet online. We even had a place to record and broadcast from. And when we needed an outdoor venue, what did he bring us? The wonderful people at the FET. And now we can meet together once again. Now, God knows what he's doing. That was weak. God knows what he's doing. Amen. Listen, he's never failed us. You know why? Said he wouldn't. It's not a proposal. That's the plan. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said, who's man? What can man do to you? I am for you, so who can be against you? That's his plan. That's how he operates. He is our strength. He is our shield. 
his way is perfect because his word is proven. It's not a proposal subject to human approval. It's the plan of Almighty God. Now, that tells us not only do we know his plan and promises for the church are going to come to pass. Did he not say the gates of Hades would not prevail against his church? Then they won't. That's not a proposal. That's the plan. And the truth is his plan of salvation is true as well. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. There's the plan. That's not a proposal again. 1 John 1, 5 to 10, John the Beloved picked it up and said, This is the message we have heard from him, that being Jesus, and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, a metaphor for evil, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from some sin. No, all sin. Now listen close. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his what? His word is not in us. Is every word of God pure? Yes. Is he a shield to all who trust in him? Yes. Now we need to remember that confess means to see as or speak of as the same. Now why that's important is this. That means that in God's plan of salvation he has defined sin and what he says is a sin is a sin Amen. if we say what he says is a sin is not a sin we are liars and the truth is not in us but we're calling him a liar can God be wrong no, no. is his word subject to cultural uh, adaptability no. no of course not but if we agree with God and acknowledge his definitions of sin as true, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now, I need to make this clear in such a time as this. God is God and we are not. His ways are higher. He does things past finding out. We don't understand everything that he does. But who can say to him, what are you doing? Yet we do sometimes, don't we? Or at least we think it. But the truth is, God is sovereign over the affairs of men. He is sovereign even right now. God is moving today all around the world. He is still saving souls. But he is doing, through, doing so through the plan, not human proposals. Amen? Amen? Now, let me say one more thing before we briefly examine our last section of text. It's pretty comfortable out here today, isn't it? It's a little cooler than last week. Now, Isaiah 5, 20 to 24, and, and let me just say this. Let's be careful out there on social media, because you remember that statement. I saw it online. It said, not everything you read on the Internet is, internet is true, and that was uh, said by Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> I've seen this floating around all over social media of late, both Instagram and uh, Facebook, and it says, the quote says, in the last days, Good will be called evil, and evil will be called good. There's no such scripture in the Bible that doesn't say that. There's no association with the last days. But what it does say is this. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, 
who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Remember, those are idioms for truth and lies or goodness uh, and, and evil and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Same illustration or metaphor. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe to men mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice from the righteous man. Therefore, as the fire devours the stubble and the flame consumes the chaff, so their root will be as rottenness and their blossom will ascend like dust because they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of who? The Holy One of Israel. Remember, that's a messianic title. It's speaking of Jesus. Now, to allow casinos to be full and demand churches remain empty is to call evil good and good evil. To demand the church disobey the word of God by failing to assemble health consciously and with respect to the things that are happening in our day is to call evil good and good evil and woes come to those who do such things. Now, woes are not positive. <laughs> ever. Woes are always bad, right? Now, what that means is this. We need to be praying for our governor. We need to be praying for our civic leaders at every single level. Because the word of God is a plan, not a proposal. If it says, woes come to those who do these things, then that means woes come to those who do these things. So we need to be praying for Gavin Newsom. We need to be praying, I said uh, somewhat uh, facetiously last week, I didn't know if God could save Nancy Pelosi, but he can even do that. <laughs> Amen? Amen? So we need to be praying for these people because they've rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and they have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. The word of God is our sword and shield because it's not a proposal. It's God's plan. Amen? Amen. Now, 7 through 9. Agar then says, two things I request of you. He's now praying. Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. In other words, don't let me be associated with evildoers and things. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Now, Agar asked for what Paul came to know. Paul said in Philippians 4, I have learned to be content no matter what state or life experience I am going through. And that's where the fame 413 comes in. I can do all things through Christ who what? Strengthens me. And what Paul had just said was I can be abased or I can abound, I can suffer need, or I can have plenty, I can be hungry, or I can be full. I can do all those things because Christ is my strength. Now, here we have Edgar asking of the Lord this very thing. Give me what will allow me to be contented in life. And surely because this was a man of God, a holy man of God, moved by the Spirit of God, he would be aware of Deuteronomy chapter 8, 18 to 20, where the Lord said, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is to this day. Then it shall be, listen close, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. 
as the nations which the Lord drives before you, so you shall perish, because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. Listen, Edgar knew the plan. So he prayed that God would give him the strength to remain in it. That he would remember that whatever gain he had was from the Lord. He prayed against poverty, lest he become a thief and steal and profane the name of the Lord. And he prayed much like another obscure uh, biblical character who rose to fame about a decade or so ago, a man named Jabez. And we saw many books and heard many sermons on the Jabez prayer or the prayer of Jabez. And in 1 Chronicles 4.10, Jabez called upon the God of Israel saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed. Anybody ever pray that? Bless me, Lord. We want the Lord's blessing, right? And he is a God who blesses us, to be sure. And then he says, enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me and that you would, listen to this, keep me from evil that I might not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. Now, here's the interesting thing. Jabez means he will cause pain. That's what his name meant. He will cause pain. He said, Lord, keep me from evil that I will not cause pain. So, these two men were praying against their natural tendencies. They were praying against how their flesh desired to operate as does ours. They were asking God for supernatural intervention. Now, the shutdown that we're all going through, and we're all going through it, but we're experiencing it in different ways. Now, many uh, have had the uh, loss of a job. Uh, many have had things continue in somewhat of a normal pattern. And others have enter entered into a time of difficulty like they've never experienced in their whole life. And the truth is our flesh wants to take advantage of the moment. The devil wants to run away with our minds. He wants us to follow after our fleshly tendencies. But God is our sword and shield. And his word has given us God's plan even during this pandemic. And therefore, here's what we need to remember in our closing point. Listen, the power of the Holy Spirit is greater than the tendencies of our flesh. The power of the Holy Spirit is greater than the tendencies of our flesh. This is what 1 John 4, 4 is all about. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Is that still true today? Yes. Of course it is. Part of the plan. Now, it's one of the hard parts of the plan. It's one of the most difficult parts to implement because our human tendency is that the only way we're going to settle down in our thinking is through deliverance or remedy of our unwelcome circumstance. But we can do all things through Christ, right? Yes. We can do being abased or having financial difficulties. We can do times of abundance. And we need to be praying exactly as Edgar prayed and the point that Paul came to. And Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations. In other words, God had shown him tremendous things. And lest he become puffed up with pride because of what he had received from the Lord. He said, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to comfort me. Is that what Satan does? No, he buffets us. He harasses us. He tries to get us in the flesh through the circumstances and difficulties of life. He had a messenger of Satan to buffet him lest he should be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that I, 
uh, it might depart from me. Listen, there's nothing wrong with being unhappy with your circumstances. And we need to be praying about our circumstances, right? Yes. But the Lord will always take us to the same place where he said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul said, here's my conclusion. Most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Whose strength is he walking in? Whose strength is he talking about? He's talking about the Lord's strength. Now, with all the attacks and blame shifting that is being leveled at the church today, on top of the stresses and strains of the exploitation of the coronavirus and how it has impacted homes uh, individually, the flesh wants to take over. It wants to impact hearts. It wants to get minds to run away with the flesh. And the devil will do all that he can to make that happen. But we have the mind of Christ. And therefore, we have the peace that surpasses all understanding. We know the gates of Hades will not prevail against the church because that's the plan. Amen? We know that contentment is ours in the Lord, whether we are in lean times or fruitful, because that's the plan. He is our sword and our shield, and he will never leave nor forsake us. And man is not in control of our lives nor our eternal destinies. That's not a proposition. That's the plan. Someday we're going to heaven. I'm sorry, do you not understand what heaven is? Someday we're going to heaven. And all this stuff will be over. Death, sorrow, sighing, everything that causes pain will have been passed away and banned from heaven forever. That's our future. That's the plan. That's where the plan leads us. And remembering that, remembering the greatness of our God, is going to put a shield over our minds and not let our flesh run away with us. Listen, if, if things are difficult for you financially and all the other things that are going on, and if um, you know, you've gone through what many have gone through, there's a layoff and then back to work and then laid off again as things shut down and open up and restrictions and all these things, cry out to God. Tell him, hey, I need help. He is a present help in time of need, right? But listen, let me tell you something that I personally know to be true, and we have as an example our experience as a church and our need for a, a facility and the weird stuff that happened to us along the way. God will let you get closer to where you think it's an absolute disaster than you will like. And he loves that 11th hour stuff. Have you ever noticed that? I don't like it. I'll confess that right now. I don't like it. I want him to show up at noon, not 11.59 p.m. I want... By the time I say amen, I want the answer to the prayer. See, I'm just like you. I want immediacy in our relationship and for him to act right away. But he doesn't always act like that, does he? He doesn't always respond like that. But that doesn't mean he's not faithful. And that doesn't mean he doesn't have the answer already on the way. And one last thing before we close in prayer. Here's something we all need to remember, and I'm talking especially to you who are going through difficult times right now. You don't have to see progress for God to be moving. You may see nothing, but that doesn't mean he's doing nothing. He who keeps Israel neither sleeps nor slumbers. 
His eye is always upon us. And remember, Israel, the word Israel means either prince of God or governed by God. And if you're a Christian, you are governed by God. You are his property. You have been purchased by the blood of his own son. And therefore, he has your situation well under control. So don't let the devil get in your head. Certainly don't let him get in your heart and make that 18-inch journey down to where he's got you confused, uh, uh, questioning God and his word and the faithfulness of God. He cannot deny himself. Faithful is what he is. Not what he does. It's what he is. That's That's the plan. And that's the plan for you too. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for these words of this unknown individual and how um, he recognized that, that the majesty and greatness that is who you are and what you do is just beyond our capacity to understand. And we thank you, Lord, that he prayed against himself. He didn't want situations or things in life for his own human tendencies to run away with him. So he asked for your protection and just to give him that spirit of contentment. Lord, I pray that over these who are here with us today, those who may be struggling, those who maybe thought that things were going to get better when they went back to work, and then the, the business turned around and shut down again for a time. So, Lord, we need you. We need your help. We need your strength. And, Lord, we thank you that you are the Lord who provides. So I pray your provision over these, your people who are in desperate need, And God, I pray your hand would be upon them in a way that you receive glory for them. And Lord, we thank you for our time in your word this morning. We thank you that you are our shield because we trust in you. So we agree uh, with Agar, Lord, these two things we ask of you. Give us neither poverty nor riches, but just give us that which will keep us content and satisfied and focused on you. We thank you for these things we have learned today. We honor you. We bless you. We give you glory in the name of Jesus. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Now, listen this morning. If you're joining with us and you don't know the God of heaven personally, you can do that. There's a plan. It's a singular plan. God said, nor is there salvation in any other in the book of Acts. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. Jesus is the only way of salvation. He is God's singular offer to mankind to have access to heaven through reconciliation with God. There's no other way. There's no other way to get to heaven. Listen, a lot of people today, a lot of people over the the history of the church have said, you know, I'm a good moral person. Well, God said, you know what? I examined the whole lot of you. There's none good, no, not one. And because there are none good, all need a savior. And therefore you qualify for heaven And he is the sufficient savior for all men. He died for the sins of the whole world. But listen, you have to accept his plan, not your proposal, not your variation of his plan. You have to accept his plan as written. Agree with him. You're a sinner in need of a savior. And if you come to that place of agreement, he will, as we just read in 1 John, be faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now, Listen, there were people who were like me before they got saved, whose sins are many, and I vied for the position that Paul claimed to be the chief of sinners before I gave my life to Christ. And some of you have been good, decent people and not really had any heinous activities in your life, but you still need a Savior because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is what the plan says. So if you don't know Christ as Savior and Lord. You need to take care of that today because he's coming soon. He's coming for his church soon. 
That's part of the plan too. So make sure you get things right with God. You could say just something like this. And, you know, I hear all these debates that go on. There's no sinner's prayer in the Bible. Well, sinners ought to pray. And there's only one person to pray to, right? Amen. And you could say something like this. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. I agree with you that I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the only Savior. I ask that you forgive me of all sin, cleanse me from all unrighteousness, and I commit my life to you. As 1 Peter 4 says, I commit my soul to you in doing good because you are the faithful, faithful creator. Now, if you do something like that, you're coming into agreement with God. And he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive you. So if you'd like to do that, you can do that in your seat right now. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to walk down an aisle. You don't have to stand in front of the platform because what happens between you and he is what matters, not what happens in front of us. So you can take care of that business right now, and I encourage you to do so if you have not yet done so. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. Would you all stand?